You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I want to talk about what's going on with Disney. I also want to look at a New York Times article that is related to the issue of of the LGBTQ blah blah blah. And uh, and then I want to look at the biblical truth behind all of this kind of nonsense, really, and see what God has to say about it. And uh, But before that, I just want to remind you we're on Patreon, and there's a link below. You can subscribe monthly, as little as $5 a month, and it really helps us out on the show. So that's there. And so I want to take a look at what Disney is doing right now. The They had a Reimagine Tomorrow Summit, and the Disney's diversity and inclusion manager, her name is Vivian Ware, she is instructing the employees of Disney to no longer refer to patrons, patrons as ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls. Yeah, this is true. This is not a Babylon Bee story. This is actually real. <laughs> but in today's, uh, in today's world, we don't really know what is real and what's not. But this is true. And the, the reason she no longer wants to refer to patrons as ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls is because she wants to be sensitive to transgender guests. And so the, she says that she wants to create that magical moment for children who do not identify with traditional gender roles. Now, I, this is, this is completely bizarre, uh, because I don't know why in the world children would not <laughs> be identifying with traditional gender roles. I mean, I do know why. It's because of the culture and because of the insanity. And But we'll get into that a little bit later. And then she says, uh, the company is in the process of changing recorded messages from ladies and gentlemen and boys and girls to, quote, dreamers of all ages. So that's the way they can avoid this kind of binary uh, language. She goes on to say, and we don't want to just assume because someone might be, in our interpretation, may be presenting as female, that they may not want to be called princess. So let's think differently about how we really engage with our guests in a meaningful and inclusive way that makes it magical and memorable for everyone. So apparently you can't call a young girl princess because that is um, that could be misgendering the the young girl. And then um, the top executives at at the company, it it was leaked that the, the executives are really pushing the LGBTQ plus agenda. And again, I you know, I talked about this before. It's like when I was when I was living that a life as a gay man back in the day, we used to laugh at the idea that there was a gay agenda, a homosexual agenda. We thought that was hilarious, but it turns out there actually is one. 
and uh, and it's very real and very powerful. And so this one executive producer, Latoya Raveno, talked about how the company had been very welcoming to her, quote, not at all secret gay agenda, adding that she was encouraged to add queerness wherever she could. So again, it's just this, it's this, it's not a small world after all. It's an upside down world after all. It's a trans world after all. And it's, uh, it's a queer world after all. Uh, and so the article goes on to say that no one, she says, no one would stop me and no one was trying to stop me. So of course the executives at Disney would never stop someone from pushing queerness or pushing an LGBT agenda because they don't want to be seen as regressive or retrograde or, you know, not in sync with the culture. So they have to, whatever the culture says, whatever the narrative of the culture is, doesn't matter what it is. It could be pedophilia. It could be, you know, bestiality. If it were bestiality, Disney would be talking about, let's welcome <laughs> guests who are into bestiality and let's celebrate them. So it's it's whatever lines with the narrative of the culture is what the corporations are going to do. And that's what Disney's doing in this case. And Disney corporate executive Kathy Burke, speaking as a mother of two queer children, one transgender child and one pansexual child. I don't know how these children are even are aware of this kind of stuff. Um, obviously, I mean, I know now because of the culture, but it's just insane that these these young kids, these poor kids are are even having to to decide their gender. I mean, what a heavy burden to put on a child. Like, oh, we don't really know your gender. We don't know your sex. Like, you have to decide that for yourself. <laughs> I mean, to like an f- eight-year-old child. That, that is insanity, obviously. And, and then one, one child is pansexual. How does that child even know he or she is pansexual? I mean, they haven't even gone through puberty yet. And so... This woman, Burke, Carrie Burke, says that um, she wants to include more queer leads in its creative content. So they want more LGBTQIA leads in Disney content, which is just wonderful for children. And I just want to define, I mean, because we hear the word non-binary all the time. And I want to define what that is first, just to be clear, and uh, and then talk about the first time I heard this term. Non-binary or genderqueer is another term for it. Non-binary is an umbrella term for gender identities that are neither male nor female. Identities that are outside the gender binary. Non-binary identities fall under the transgender umbrella since non-binary people typically identify with a gender that is different from their assigned sex, though some non-binary individuals do not consider themselves transgender. Did you get all that? Because I that, I don't even know what that means. But anyway, non-binary just means someone doesn't identify as male or female, which um, is bizarre. Now, the first time I heard non by this term, 
I had just become a Christian and I think it was, it was, I became a Christian in 2009. You know, you know, my story, I had this massive road to Damascus conversion to Christianity and God rescued me out of this insanity, out of this life, uh, which I'm so grateful for. And I'm going to be worshiping, worshiping him for all of eternity for doing that, for rescuing me. So happy about that. But Soon after I became a Christian, I think it was like six months or a year, I was at a coffee shop in Hollywood and I ran into an old acquaintance of mine and she's a lesbian and she was in town from New York and she came over to my table. We chatted, we hugged and I told her my story. I told her I'm, I'm a Christian now. This is what happened. And I kind of gave her the you know five minute version of my story. And her response to it was not, her response wasn't, oh, that's really cool. Like, tell me more about that. Her response was, well, I'm non-binary. Like in a really kind of defiant way. And then she walked away and I was like, okay, I don't even really know what that means. I guess. I mean, I kind of know what it means, but I, at the time I really didn't fully understand it. But now, <laughs> now I do. And so... I want to look now at this New York Times article that's very much related to the Disney brouhaha. And uh, again, this article is going to sound like a Babylon Bee article, but it is actually real. The title of the article is When Sir and Ma'am Miss the Mark, Restaurants Rethink Gender's Role in Service. A dinner out can be discomforting for non-binary and transgender people. But efforts are afoot to change that. So this is an article written by Rax Will. That's a that's a fun name, Rax Will. And he talks this. It's set in Los Angeles, and he talks about this person who who is non-binary named this person's. I don't even know if it's a man or woman. <laughs> this person's name is Analia, Analia Ovale, and. She's 20, he or she is 27 years old and identifies as non-binary and uses the pronouns they and them. And of course, the, you know, this, these pronouns they and them makes no sense because they're plural pronouns. And of course, they don't need to make sense because we live in a postmodern world. So you can just make up any word. You can make any word mean what you want it to mean. It doesn't matter. So it, but it's just postmodern gibberish, and we have to we have to thank the French philosophers, the Algerian-born philosopher, French philosopher Jacques Derrida, uh, who was a postmodernist, and he really developed the de- deconstruction, and where everything is subjective. There's no objective truth. Everything is subjective, including language is, is subjective. So if I say, for example the cat is on the mat, you and I have an, a kind of a mutual understanding of what that means. We, we probably think of a feline creature on some sort of mat, maybe a blue mat. Uh, so we have an understanding. But in postmodernism and deconstructionism, that when you say a, the cat is on the mat, it can mean anything. It can mean uh, the sky is blue. Or it does. It has no objective meaning, or no. Um, we can't even agree on the meaning of it. So, 
So using pronouns like they and them is just postmodernism coming home to roost. And also another French philosopher who was uh, part of this movement was Michel Foucault. And he uh, was very active in the, the 60s and 70s as what Derrida was also active during that time. And Michel, Michel Foucault and Derrida both pushed this kind of postmodern philosophy. And we can thank them for, for where we are today in terms of this, in terms of just the gibberish that we, we hear and, and we don't understand. And so it's, it's always, it's always the French, you know, it's, if it's not Rousseau, it's Derrida, it's Foucault, it's Simone de Beauvoir, whom we'll get to in a minute. Uh, the, the French existentialist feminist philosopher, we'll get to her in a minute. Actually, no, I'll talk about her now because Simone de Beauvoir wrote The Second Sex, and I think it was published in 1949. And uh, this was the first time, I think, when, I think this is accurate, the first time when gender was separated from sex, from biological sex. She really kind of pushed this notion of, of gender being different from sex and she uh, and her she wrote the second sex, which is which two volumes. Uh, the, in the second volume, which is called Lived Experience, this is what she says: One is not born, but rather becomes woman. No biological, psychic, or economic destiny defines the figure that the human female takes on in society. It is civilization as a whole that elaborates this intermediary product between the male and the eunuch that is called feminine. So did you catch that? Like she said, no one or one is not born woman, but rather becomes a woman. So she's, she's already, we're already seeing kind of a separation uh, of gender and sex. So for de Beauvoir, sex is biological and gender is psychological. And, uh, and that's where we are today. That's why we have, you know, m multiple, multiple genders. And so um, we can thank all of the wonderful French philosophers who, who are, <laughs> are hell-bent on destroying the world. Uh, okay, so that's non-binary. Back to the New York Times article. This, this person... Analia Ovale is androgynous in appearance, in appearance. And as they asked for a menu, they, he or she really, as they asked for a menu, they could see the wheels turning in the host's head, registering the pitch of their voice and noticing details like their eyeliner and painted nails. The host quickly retreated, calling them ma'am. Whoa. That's such a sin to call someone ma'am or sir. And Ovale says, quote, it's just funny that they resort to flipping it. The assumption is that gender is binary. It's like, oh, wait, not sir, ma'am. It points to the need to have more ways of addressing people in a gender neutral way. Uh, and it goes on, this article goes on to say that misgendering guests by restaurant hosts or servers may seem like a small thing, but those on the receiving end say it can be painful, 
even dangerous if they are publicly outed. And you hear this talk all the time that transphobia leads to suicide. And it's that's such a red herring because when someone is is trans, then obviously there there's some there's underlying conditions already. There's underlying psychological and mental health issues with that person. So when people try to shut you down and say, oh, you, you know, that's dangerous and you're going to cause that person to commit suicide. That's just, again, it's a red herring. But even now with the social contagion of it, the fact that it's um, become so popular with kids, uh, obviously kids who are taking on these identities and taking on these, uh, these, uh, these categories, they're going through psychological and mental health issues in high school and junior high. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the fault of this, uh, this kind, kind of false idea of transphobia. It's the, it's the fault of mental health issues. And so in the, the article continues in Los Angeles, the chef Sarah Kramer has been working on redefining restaurant etiquette since she and Sarah, Hymanson open Kismet in 2017. She had seen diners recoil from a greeting like, hello, ladies. So you can't say hello, ladies anymore. That's terrible. So it's an awful sin to commit. And she says that every staff member is trained to use gender neutral language, such as, hey, folks, or hey, everyone, when greeting guests. And use gender neutral they the, and them when a customer's pronouns aren't known. Such protocols are part of the restaurant's training handbook. So yeah. Um, so this is this is an epidemic in our culture, obviously, and it's it's wreaking havoc on truth. It's wreaking havoc on reality, and we're going to get to that in in when I, when I look at the Bible, but, um, the article goes on to say gender stereotypes are built into, into traditional restaurant service. Chairs are often pulled out for arriving women who are then served first. (laughs) Guys, I can't make this up. I mean, this is, this is the New York times. The paper of record is, is printing this gibberish. And then they say, many restaurants have abandoned such practices, but in Europe, this type of old guard service is still common. So be careful when you go to Europe because you don't want anyone pulling out your chair, ladies. Uh, Don't let that happen. That would be uh, so, so, so insulting. And so restaurants, it goes on to say, restaurants also identify customers by the names on their credit cards, which is a problem. Because the name on the credit card could be the name before they became trans. And that is called dead naming. So it's really dangerous to use someone's name just based on their credit card because you could be using their old dead name and not their new trans name or whatever name they they just chose. Panera Bread is apparently fully embracing this. 
uh, and it uses gender neutral language in its training materials. And there's a restaurant in the East Village in Manhattan called Hags. And it's defined, they, they call Hags a queer fine dining restaurant. Staff members, now this is crazy, staff members will wear gender neutral garments that can be cinched in various places to alter the shape to appear more masculine or feminine if they wish. Pronoun, now get this, this is real. Again, this is not the Babylon Bee. Pronoun pins will be available for both diners and employees to wear. So now we have pins we can wear. Uh, if we go to this restaurant, we can wear pins that that state our pronouns, just so no one will misgender us and use the wrong pronouns. And it says, they say, the owners say, we are building a space. By the way, that word space, I don't like the word space. Uh, it's 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 kind of the the catchword of the day, and. I've always, I've always kind of bristled at that word because when I hear the word space, it implies victimhood. It implies that there's a victim, like someone needs a safe space or this space is okay, is good for. So anytime I hear the word space, I'm like, no, uh, not good. So I, I never use that word and um, I don't think we should use that word. And then, so it says, we're building a space in which not only the diners, but everyone that enters the space is welcome as they are. She says, if you can't hire a gender non-conforming person, you can't feed a gender non-conforming person. I mean, I just want to go to a restaurant and have a nice dinner. Is that okay to do? Can I just do that? Do I have to wear a pin with a pronoun? I mean, I don't know. It's it's not that complicated. Just want food. <laughs> I don't want the, your political agenda on <laughs> imposed on me. And then uh, there's one restaurant in Oakland that has a trans flag in the doorway, and on the trans flag it says, and this is real. It says, "To be queer is to be holy." Now, by the way, also the uh, this is. Another article in the New York Times, Just I'll just read the headline because it, uh, it's, it's related. It says, the State Department will allow Americans to mark their gender as X on passports. The change is aimed at providing transgender, non-binary, or gender non-conforming Americans a way to accurately identify themselves. So now, obviously, the government is on board with all of this and very much uh, in favor of, of this confusion of this chaos. Joseph Backholm wrote this article and I love what he says about it. Um, he says that pronouns contain a statement of belief about the nature of reality. Preferred pronouns are a declaration that there is no authority above me or you that has determined my identity. I am the captain of my own soul, the master of my own fate, and the only person to whom I am responsible, my body, my choice. And he goes on to say, he uses this uh, example of, because back in the day, he talks about, you know, back in the day, um, when the the gay, and during the gay movement in the 70s, 80s, and 90, even 90s, it was like the their whole, the mantra was, and I remember this because I was part of it. It's like, 
just stay out of my bedroom. Like, what do you care about? You know, my person, what I do in my private life, just stay out of my personal life. But that's obviously not the case now. It's now the case is if you don't fully publicly affirm me who I am, then I'm going to, you're going to get canceled in this call. You, you could lose your job. I mean, obviously you can lose your job in a second. If you just tweeted, uh, there's no such thing as non-binary, you would lose your job and, and a lot of your friends. Um, I know that first. <laughs> I know that well, but he says, what if, okay. So if, if people are going to, if the culture is going to demand that we use these preferred pronouns, or if the culture is going to demand that we uh, use all of this, this language that we just talked about, then then he says we should demand that every time they see us, they have to say Jesus is Lord. <laughs> um, that's how that's how absurd it's become. And I was in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago at the Stand to Reason conference, speaking to high school and junior high school kids, and it's wild. I mean, the, this is a Christian conference, and it's stunning how many kids come up to me. And say that, you know, after after my talk or after a Q&A, kids come up to me and say that they're non-binary or pansexual or trans. And I'm like, wow, like it's again, it's an epidemic. And um, this one young girl, I, I think she was probably 15 years old. I'm not even allowed. I don't even know if I'm allowed to call her a girl. Um, but this young one girl came up to me. And she said, after my talk, and she said, I'm, she declared, like, I'm non-binary. I think she said she was pansexual. And maybe she, I, she may have mentioned trans. I can't, I can't remember. But I looked at her and I just wanted to challenge her on this. Because I, I said, why? Why are you non-binary? I said, when I was in high school, there was no such thing as non-binary. So why do you think you're non-binary? Is, do you think it's because it gives you street cred or that it gives you attention or it's exotic or interesting, it's unconventional, and, and suddenly you know people who normally wouldn't be your friend or normally wouldn't give you attention in high school suddenly give you attention because you're different, you're exotic. So it does, it gives you this kind of, it, the labeling yourself with these 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 crazy labels gives your gives you kind of this credibility gives you this sort of um intrigue people are intrigued oh wow that person's trans and i could tell that this girl was i could tell that she had a lot of angst and a lot of um she seemed very just unhappy and she when i challenged her on this I noticed that she started to tear up and she, she just kind of looked at me and didn't know what to say. Because again, I told her there's, when I was in high school, there was no such thing as non-binary and we didn't even know what trans was when I was in high school. Like that. So what, what do you, what's going on here? Why do you think, is this a social contagion? Is it a fad? Like why is it peer pressure? So she starts tearing up and, uh, she then apparently I, I heard this later. She, after she left the room, someone, I think someone on the staff at the church prayed with her 
And she ended up just breaking down and bawling. And she gave her life to Christ, which is <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Praise God. But it's like these kids don't even really believe it themselves. They don't really believe that they're non-binary, pansexual. This one boy comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm aromantic, aromantic, whatever, which means uh, I'm not attracted to male or female. And I'm just like, "Um, why don't you go through puberty first and then talk to me? It's like, it's just, it's just they make up this stuff and they don't even believe it themselves. I can tell, like I can, I've talked, I talked to so many kids and more, more kids came up to me and told me that they were trans and I could tell that they, it was just, it wasn't real. It was just something that they wanted to glom onto because that's what the culture is, is telling them. That's what media is telling them. That's what Disney is telling them. And it's just this, it's just this madness, this social contagion. Oh, and by the way, you know, in the 80s and 90s, when a, t- a teenage girl, for example, was dealing with angst and dealing with all, you know, the drama of, of being a teenage girl in high school, the, the thing to go, the go-to thing was anorexia. And then in the early 2000s, it was cutting. They would cut, you know, girls would cut themselves to, to feel something. And then now it's become this LGBTQIA thing. So whenever, you, whenever you're feeling this angst in high school, if you're a girl or a boy, it's just all you have to do is say, I'm trans, and suddenly things kind of, you're, you're suddenly embraced by not only your peers, but you're embraced by your teachers. Even the teachers are excited to embrace you as trans or non-binary or pansexual or whatever. They're, they love it. I don't, I don't know what <laughs> water they're drinking or what Kool-Aid they're drinking, but the teachers and even the high school counselors, they love, I mean, all you have to say is I'm trans and like, boom, you're, you know, you're completely like this sacred cow. Like you can't touch this person. And I just want to go to the Bible now and look at a few passages that that came to mind when I was when I was looking at this stuff. Obviously, in Genesis, in Genesis one, in the very beginning, in the creation ordinance, God says, "So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them." So we see right away that human beings are binary, male and female. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God set it up so that we flourish as human beings. Uh, that's what his desire is for us. And, and whenever we step out of that, whenever we step out, and by the way, it's really dangerous for these kids. It's dangerous for anyone, really. But for these, when these kids are choosing their pronouns, choosing their gender, choosing their sexual uh, affiliation, whatever, they they're playing God and that's a dangerous game to play. We should never do that, which I'm going to get to in a minute. But, um, so God, we are binary. God created us male and female. He did not create non-binary humans. Um, and by the way, if there are, there's a tiny minority of the population that are intersex and the, that is a result of the fall. God didn't, doesn't create intersex people. That's, that's a result of, of the fall. We're all corrupted because of the fall. 
our, even our genetic coding is corrupted. So, um, so yeah, people might push back and say, what about intersex people? Well, that's a result of the fall. Um, and so, and then obviously Romans one, my, you know, my go-to passage for a lot of this is again, in Romans one, Paul is kind of giving the diagnosis of humans who apart from God, and he's saying that human beings suppress the truth and they exchange the truth for a lie and worship the creature rather than the creator. And, and again, he uses as the illustration of suppression of the truth, homosexual behavior. Remember, he says, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for, for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So again, this is a Romans 1 issue. Uh, this, this, this LGBTQIA stuff is all Romans 1. It's suppressing the truth. When you say that when you're a boy and you say you're a girl... You are suppressing the most fundamental truth, a biological truth, a scientific truth, um, a truth that, that God created you a boy. He created you male, and you are playing God and, and, and pretending you are female. So, um, again, this is, this is Romans 1 all over again. So this is nothing new. I mean, this has been going on for, for millennia, and... It's just that we have, and right now, it's just a very bizarre twist on, <laughs> it's a very bizarre twist on the suppression of the truth with, with the trans stuff and the gender stuff and, and the pronouns and all this stuff. So, so we live uh, in, we live in an increasingly crazy world, but in a postmodern world and, um, I don't know if it's if it's going to get better or just continue to devolve into more and more chaos. Uh, we'll see, and then Christ returns. Uh, we'll see what we'll see what happens. But again, and then you know, Paul. We have to remember too that this is a spiritual battle. Paul talks about this in Ephesians six. He says, "We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against the rulers." against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we have to remember as believers, as Christians, this might be shocking, the Disney stuff and, and all the, everything that's going on in the, in the culture, the LGBTQ blah, blah, blah agenda. It might be shocking, but this is Satan is having this is spiritual warfare and Satan's having a field day with it. He is is again, I always say this, he's winning this battle. He's not going to win the war. He's winning this battle in culture. He's got the entire culture duped. Uh not all the entire culture, but a lot of it. And and even people in the church he has duped because of the power of the culture and the people who at Disney, the people in, in uh, Hollywood who are pushing this postmodern nonsense, they have no idea that they're being used as pawns by Satan to further his agenda, 
Because that's the real agenda. His agenda is to kill, steal, and destroy, and to drag as many people as he can to hell and to destruction for all of eternity. That's what his goal is. And so we have to be aware of that, and we have to to be in prayer. Because I, I think one of the things, the one of the important things we can do is number one, be aware of of Satan's schemes and be aware of what's going on in the culture. But secondly, to be fervent in prayer about this and really pray, pray for God to transform this culture and to transform people's hearts. Cause that's really, that's really what needs to happen is individual hearts need to be transformed by the gospel. So we just need to press into prayer uh, pray without ceasing, especially now. And so, yeah. So I hope that uh, that helps, and um, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens with this issue in the culture. Maybe there'll be the pendulum will swing back because it, it, it's gotten so extreme. Maybe the pendulum will will come back, and there'll be some sort of kind of stasis or norm, you know, balance in the culture. But I'm not sure about that. But we'll have to wait to see what happens. Uh, next week, I have a, a really good guest. We're going to talk about sin. He wrote a book on sin, Mark Jones. And uh, I'm excited to to have that conversation because uh, we don't talk about that, I don't think, enough in the church. And so also, by the way, if you haven't watched the episode I did a couple weeks ago where I interviewed Carl Truman, please watch that because it'll really help you understand how we got to where we are today in this, in this madness. So please watch that. And thank you guys for watching now. And I'll see you next time on the Becca Cook Show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of The Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God looks at your heart, not your gene size. Do you know the verses yet still stress over your body? Oh, I get it. I was raised in church, but I struggled with food, eating disorders, and my body for decades. I'm Heather Creekmore, host of the Compared To You podcast, where we talk about all things body image and comparison from a biblical perspective. We get real about the pressure to focus on appearance in a culture where looks seem to matter most. Whether you're wrestling wrinkles or battling the scale, Compared To Who is the show for you. You'll laugh a little and be encouraged a lot. If you're ready to stop comparing and start living, visit lifeaudio.com to listen and subscribe.